Welcome to episode 123 of the All About Fitness podcast. On this episode, I'm going to be talking about strength and conditioning, and we're going to speak with a professional level strength and conditioning coach who will tell you what it takes to keep professional athletes healthy and in the prime level of fitness for competition. But first, I want to take a moment to thank all the people around the world who've been tuning in to the All About Fitness podcast. Believe it or not, we have listeners in faraway places down in Africa, in the Middle East, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Thailand. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to tune in, and I guarantee you're going to get a lot out of this episode. The field of strength and conditioning is only a little bit more than 40 years old. Believe it or not, here in the U.S. at least, before the early to mid-about 1980s, most professional athletes did not lift weights. Think about that for a second. Up until just as recently as the 1980s, a lot of professional athletes didn't work out. They would show up for camp and they would they would get in shape by just practicing and playing. But that's why football teams still do two days or professional teams have two days because guys would have to play in to get into shape for the sport. Well, that's changed. You know what used to be in the 70s, 80s. You know even before that, the thought was that adding muscle would reduce athleticism. Now in the 21st century. The field of strength and conditioning plays a major role in helping athletes achieve their highest level of performance possible. In the, you know, now in the 20 teens, here we are in 2018, athletes, even in the high school level, think about this, high school athletes today in the late 20 teens have access to better conditioning than professional athletes did in the 1970s and 1980s. And let's face it, the role of a conditioning coach, the role of a strength and conditioning coach isn't to get an athlete muscular. It's not to get an athlete big. It's to help the athlete stay injury-free. That's what a strength coach does. A strength coach runs the conditioning programs. The athlete does the practice to get better for the sport, but a strength coach runs the conditioning programs to keep the athletes injury-free and available to play. So training to improve athletic performance requires a lot more than simply lifting weights. Believe it or not, and some people might have a hard time with this, it really does not matter how much you bench press. Bench pressing has nothing to do with athleticism. Movement does. Top strength coaches now know that they need to help their athletes move better and work on mobility, explosiveness, reactivity in order to help them be at the top peak performance of their sport. This episode is really a lot of fun to sit down with Todd Wright. For a number of years, Todd was a head strength and conditioning coach for the University of Texas basketball program. For the past three years, Todd has been the head strength and conditioning coach for the Philadelphia 76ers NBA team. Now, I got to know Todd a number of years ago when we took the same post, uh, postgraduate fellowship with a guy by the name of Gary Gray. Gary was interviewed in uh, All About Fitness number 69. So if you listen to what Todd and I are talking about today in terms of training movement, this is the approach that Todd takes with the Philadelphia 76ers. He trains them to be more mobile. He trains them to move better. If you want to hear a little bit more about that, you can check back interview my episode 69 with Gary Gray, or look for my interview with Chuck Wolf. All these people are talking about the same thing. It's about movement. So on this episode, Todd shares his insights into how he designs the exercise programs that keeps his athletes injury-free while maximizing their performance on the court. Whether If you're a weekend warrior, this is going to be incredibly valuable information because this is how NBA players are training. You know, you can make an argument whether or not the 76ers are good. I don't follow basketball, so I don't really care about that. But I will be following the, the 76ers this year because I know that Todd is having an impact on their performance 
with his off-court conditioning program. So what Todd talks about today is his thought process. He walks through a little bit of the thought process about how he keeps his athletes in condition because NBA players have a very demanding schedule. They play more than 80 games a year. They play three games a week. Sometimes they travel cross-country. So Todd also shares some insights into how he helps them recover. So after a brief word from the sponsors of All About Fitness, you're going to get a lot of great information about how you should be training for your favorite sports and recreational activities by listening to Todd Wright, the head strength and conditioning coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. If you're looking for some great fitness equipment that you can use in your home that doesn't take up much space but provides a ton of great options for exercise, look no further than hyperwear.com. Hyperwear is the maker of sandbells and softbells. Sandbells provide the best of both medicine balls and sandbags combined. Sandbells are easy to use, they're convenient to store, and provide a wide variety of training modalities. I actually featured sandbells in my new book, Smarter Workouts, The Exercise of Science Made Simple. They'll be coming out later this fall. Go to hyperware.com. That's www.hyperware.com. Use code AAF10 to save 10% on a purchase of Hyperware products for your use. The TerraCore was recently identified by Men's Health Magazine as one of the top 25 products you should have in your home. If you like working out at home or if you need some fitness equipment so you have an option to get a great workout on those days you can't make it to the gym, go to TerraCoreFitness.com and use code AAF10 to save 10% on the purchase of a TerraCore for your own home use. I'm Pete McCall of All About Fitness, and today I'm speaking with Coach Todd Wright. Todd is an assistant coach and the strength coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, Todd, before we get into talking about fitness, I have a major question or big question that, that I'm interested in. You're from the Boston area, correct? I am from the Boston area. That's correct. What was the, uh, what was the bigger culture shock, moving to Texas and living in Austin or moving to Philadelphia and living in the Philadelphia area? Yeah, you know what? Well, growing up in Boston, and uh, my, my first introduction to the south was actually south carolina when i was 23 and then moved on to texas but uh you know we adapted really well to austin texas and then uh picked up and moved after 17 years back to the east coast so for me it was a little bit easier my uh sophomore in high school and uh freshman in high school maybe not so much of an easy adjustment but they've both kicked ass since we've been here and so it's been a great great transition I just, the reason why I ask that is there's such a big lifestyle difference between between Texas and between uh, between living in Philadelphia, and I just imagine it'd be somewhat just it'd be interesting to adapt to that. But plus, being from Boston, I didn't know if you harbored. It's not like you're moving to New York. New York is enemy territory. But was there any kind of uh, mis uh, just kind of mis- misgivings about living in a different city on the East Coast? Well, you know what? Uh, when you're a coach, it's all about being competitive. And so growing up in Boston when the Celtics and the 76ers were, um, had some great, great battles in the early 80s and, and through the 80s and, you know, into the 90s a little bit, that um, it was a great thing as a coach that if you could be a part of that again, um, it would be great. And, and I feel fortunate that the Philadelphia 76ers wanted me. So um, when you're a coach, you get, you get into the field of competition and, and that's where this this job took me was to back to the East Coast. But yeah, on the other side of the ball, without a doubt, but Philadelphia was the one that reached out to me and wanted me to be a part of it. 
and uh, so I'm excited to be a part of those guys and continue the battle with the Celtics over the next, you know, whatever um some years that uh, that both of our teams are going to be pretty good with the with the future coming up. Well, and that that must be the fun part of it. And I didn't even think about this, Todd, but one of my recent guests was uh, was was Mike Boyle. So I mm-hmm. didn't, um, you know, I didn't even think about the Boston connection there. Can you give us a brief uh, explanation, though, for listeners, what it is? Because Mike talked about it a little bit, but what what do you do as, as a professional strength coach? What's your primary responsibility with the athletes on your team? Yeah, well, the primary responsibility is that you have them available to play, right? Like. We're we're really lucky that we we've worked with some of the world's best athletes, and and if you keep those athletes readily available, um, they get to do what they love, and in return, the team and the organization has an opportunity to win. So that that's the that's the major objective um, to to our job is to create you know a system that's adaptable and pliable to the individual needs of each player. And we're seeing wide ranges of, you know, we get young rookies that some of them haven't, you know, really had much physical development at all. And then you get, you know, 10 or 12-year vets that are pretty well-versed in their body and they know what they what's allowed them to stay in the league for so long. So communication is a huge piece to the professional level and having the ability to adapt to the individual athlete and the individual needs of that athlete um, it's, it's pretty important that you have a system that's uh, prepared to be able to handle those needs. And that's just, you say something that's very important that I don't think a lot of people that don't work in the business realize is that the role of a strength coach is to keep the athletes on the court or on the field. And I think there's a misperception out there that the role of the strength coach is just to make bigger, stronger athletes. What's the difference between the two? Yeah, well, I would say I would follow up the question with bigger and stronger to do what, right? Like you, you hear the word functional training. Well, you know, function specific to the player and what the movement patterns that they have to perform at, you know, on the floor on a daily night. And so do they have the physical qualities? Do they have the physical characteristics of flexi- flexibility and mobility, uh, balance and coordination and strength and power? in their body to be able to execute those movements, right? Like, it's not so much, you know, the the, the exercises. You know, the hard part, when I originally got into strength training, a lot of the exercises didn't really look like what I was watching on the floor. And so you start to question and you get a little curious as why. Um, I feel like the ability to move three-dimensionally, if we can – and through particular movement patterns that the guys have to perform at on a daily on a daily basis, if we check those boxes, I think you give them a higher probability to be sustainably ready and available for play. And that's a big, you know, I wanted to come back to that. And for listeners, you know, Todd and I have known each other for a little while and, you know, just at a distance. And because we've done some of the same education and we've learned some of the same techniques, and I've interviewed Gary Gray, and that's how Todd and I met. We met in Gary's program. And so Todd's talking about just training athletes the way they move. What do you think the common mistake is that people make? Like, if a listener is an average, like, if a listener, Todd, is a basketball player and enjoys playing pickup games and maybe is in a rec, in a rec league one or two nights a week, 
what's a common mistake that you may, that you think somebody like that might be making with their strength training, you know, when they're not playing basketball? Well, I, I would always, you know, intuitively, what made me question it, which which made me try to go find more knowledge through Gary and and through other amazing teachers in the field was, like I had said earlier, a lot of strength training happened in one space where your feet were stationary, but yet human movement is very vector-driven. And so for the people that don't understand vectors, I always try to use the analogy, if I was standing in the center of a clock and my right leg wanted to step to 12 or step to 2 and step to 3, that's really what the game is. It's the ability to come out of a stance, an athletic stance, which is a squat position. But then the the variability of movement and the directions of movement are are so you know highly variable in in so many different options. And so, if your strength training doesn't look like what you actually do, I would just you know intuitively ask the question: Why would I perform this? It's interesting you say that because when, when I interviewed Gary, I asked him to talk about Pooh Bear and why Pooh Bear, Pooh Bear is his training model. And that really – so when you, with your athletes, then, you work on a lot of multidirectional changes. Your focus isn't so much on how much weight they can lift, right? Your focus – would you describe it as that your focus is more on how quickly they can move and transition from one phase of play to the next? Well, the great play I've, – I've been really blessed to work with some great players, and the, the greatest players that – I've worked with haven't always been the best at traditional lifting in the weight room. However, they are amazing at controlling and dominating this space on the basketball floor. So the game is all about space. Who wins that space, right? There's an, there's an offensive guy and a defensive guy. If I jab step and I use the ball to rock and, and now all of a sudden that defender has to respect my fake, my ability to move and jab step, the space opens. And as the space opens, the offensive player can take advantage of that space. The best athletes that I've been blessed to work with, they're amazing at controlling their space three-dimensionally, amazingly, through multiple movement patterns, through multiple planes of motions, through multiple speeds and multiple um, directions. And so um, there was a – I'm lucky – that I've had that experience to be with those guys. And so my view of training, they help me think about it slightly differently. Um, but the, the one common thing in my, now I have had some great players that are decently skilled at doing some of the traditional lifting in the weight room, but the one commonality of all those athletes, they're amazing at controlling their space through multiple movement patterns that, uh, that with, multiple planes of motions in at multiple speeds. They can accelerate and decelerate to win their space on the floor. So knowing that, we wanted to have a system that was really based off of how can we evaluate that on a daily basis and audit that movement to see if they the chain reaction was working correctly. And so one of the things that, that, that I think you're talking about, Todd, and for listeners is a lot of times if you're in the weight room, you're doing stuff with both feet planted on the floor or laying on a bench or sitting in a machine, yet if you watch a sport like basketball, you have to constantly move in three directions or, you know, three dimensions in multiple directions, and very rarely, if at all, are you making a play with both feet solidly planted on the floor. So talk a little bit about how you, 
you know, how your exercise selection and how you program exercises, or I guess they'd be better off called movements. How do you program your movements, and how does that differ from, like, what we might consider traditional traditional conditioning or strength and conditioning? Sure. So, you know, when you're talking about load, you know, in, in traditional strength training, you know, the more load that you put on, the more adaptation to type 2 fibers you get, the more hypertrophy you get, the stronger you get. And and there's something to be said about the sagittal plane load, which we, we actually do lift. We, we do lift and we do use sagittal plane loads, but depending on who you are and what the story of your body has given us when you enter into the space, you know, in regards to injuries, that that's what dictates what uh, how we load. Now, it's all about load. But as you get into multiple, multiple directions, the body's not meant to handle heavier loads. But load is still relevant. You know, what, what, what loads can you use in those planes of motion that you could still enhance the movement pattern through a viper, through a dumbbell, through a cable, um, is, I think is the key to developing a better athlete. And so, you're on a, you know, you're on a spectrum of what I, I would call, a, or, or a scale of what we call functional density scale. And so if I have an hour or if I have 20 minutes with an athlete, what's the most functionally dense strategy that I can use for them in that time to help them become a better player? Like what movement qualities do they, do they need on an individual basis that's going to help them perform and make make the money that they want to make and in return help us win games. So the system's slightly different that, you know, in traditional strength training you have core lifts. So you have a bench, a squat, a clean, a pull, you know, a deadlift, you know, single leg exercises. Our system's based off of movement. And so we have some core movement programs which are a squat, a lunge, a leap, a pivot, a jump, a hop, a reach, and a swing. And those are eight core movement patterns that we want to three-dimensionalize um, as much as we can throughout a, you know, a, a small microcycle of training in a seven- to ten-day period. And we want to load those um, with as much variability as possible and load um, so that the athlete understands how to be able to accelerate and decelerate out of as many movement programs and, and planes of motion as possible. And that, that that's, for listeners that might not under, understand it, that really is talking about programming the athletes to be able to carry weight and move rapidly through different different planes of motion or different directions. How does, so we're, you know, I try to keep these evergreen, but we're talking right now before you said your athletes are coming back for the preseason conditioning, what does what does an off season program look like for somebody for one of your NBA players, and what might might an in season program look like? How do you shift that from an off season preparation to an in season maintenance? Yeah, yeah. And so our season's really demanding. You know, our, our out of season programming. A lot of our guys have guys that they want to go and work with over the summer, and so we communicate at a high level with those people that work with our guys. And we collaborate on strategies that they could do particular things. And but sometimes it's nice to get out and have another variability of stress and get away from the system that you've been performing. So 
um, outside the off-season training, um, there's a lot of different actions going on. But when they come back in, you know, twice a week we're going to try to do some traditional loading where the loading would be heavier, more savagely playing dominant. But every day we're touching on a loaded movement concept on one of those movement patterns, um, and we're going we're gonna to load those through vipers, dumbbells, bungee cords, vertimaxes, raptors, different loading mechanisms to uh, help us be able to control that space through those motor programs. And then, um, and then as we get into the season, you know, I have two really groups of guys, a, a group that we would call the band, guys that really play the instruments and make the music every night. You have to look at their loads on a daily basis, you know, different cities we're traveling to. How do you program them correctly that they can still really have enough strength but really still be doing the loaded movement enough that we're protecting their bodies? Um, and then we have another group that we would call the Let, Let's Get Better group. And those guys, they have an opportunity to maybe do a little more traditional training, maybe up to three or four times um, a week on top of doing the speed and the loaded movement techniques. So, once again, the system has to be really based to be able to handle the individual needs of the athlete and how much load that they're putting in. You know, we have a handful of guys and starters that play really heavy minutes, you know, anywhere from 20, 28 to 34 minutes a night and could be up to four or five games a week. And so that becomes very interesting in how you program and you really have to be listening to um, – the athlete, but you're really taking in the information. We have a whole sports science um, department that gives me loads, you know, the minutes played on on every night, and then the acute and chronic load. So over a seven to ten day period, these guys have played this many minutes, and so it allows me to adapt on the fly on the programming. Does the NBA allow players to, to wear heart rate monitors on the on the floor? And do you ever monitor their heart rate during the game and how many you know how many meters they might run or yards they might run? Um, right now, the wearables technology is not it's not allowed in the NBA, um, but there are some um, three dimensional camera shooting that there's some technologies that we can capture distance traveled, um, not not the um, the average speed of them, how fast they're running, but it's all camera, um, three-dimensional camera related that the whole NBA has access to. Um, and so we're able to track some of those things that way, which has been really helpful. We do have wearables that we wear uh, for practice and for training when they'll come back in so we are understanding the mechanical loads that they're going through. Um between strength training with me and, and practice on the floor. And, and for listeners, that, that really is being able to there, – there's a trend out there in some international sports that soccer is a big one where players are hooked up to heart rate monitors and distance trackers so the strength coach like Todd could be on the sideline with an iPad li- literally watching how fast, how, how acceleration, the heart rate, how fast the heart rate is dropping, you know, their speed and the number of meters they run in a match. And if you notice an athlete's getting tired, you can pull them out and put in, and put in somebody new so you don't don't you know restrict the team. Is that technology, Todd? That you, that you know would that be helpful? Would that be something that you wish 
you could use to, to monitor your athletes uh, playing playing at the professional level? I, I think it would be a great addition. Um, you know, the collective bargaining agreement right now in the NBA doesn't allow us to use the wearables. Um, huh. But I would foresee in the in the near future that there'll probably be some kind of an agreement that it'll be allowed. Or at least it, I'm hoping that it could be allowed at least in the preseason, so you could get a baseline of what a real game looks like under mechanical load with these technologies. And it could really be super helpful to coaches, um, you know, to head coaches and and performance coaches out there to be able to help protect their athletes better. But up to this point, we don't have that information. And so the information coming in off the technologies can sometimes be um, they're helpful. They're relative, right? They're relative to what you're looking at every day. But it would be nice if it was relative to an actual game. And, yeah. uh, right, well, time restraints on the games and stuff, that would be super helpful to the field. Well, and that's and that's kind of what I've heard when I've heard um, I've heard people from Polar and other companies give presentations just on how they're using that technology in other fields. And as you're saying this, Todd, sorry to cut in a little bit there, but this reminds me. I have a friend of mine. I've done some work with firefighters, and there's this big debate in the firefighting community about do you want to fitness test the firefighters? Because some of the older firefighters are afraid they're going to use the fitness test against them and their ability right. to do their job. So, right. and I don't want to get you in trouble speaking, you know, speaking about the players' union, but I could imagine that might be the same sort of situation, you know, hypothetically, where some players might might be afraid that the, the fitness trackers will be used against them, and therefore, but I think you're making a strong point that it'd be just help helping you and give you more resources. Yeah, I, I I don't necessarily disagree with your. I think, you know, it's all about perception, right? And if you have an athlete that's perceiving that it's going to be used against them, I think it's all about intent. And and if, you know, the coaches should be using it intentfully to um, help develop better protocols and training practices that were more specific to the load to the game, that would be really helpful. But I think that's probably some of the reasons why the, the bargaining agreement has has had some issues, but I think it's how you communicate why we're using the information or who is using the information, right? Like, I, I would like to use it to be able to make it better for our players and to be able to show when we need to practice less or maybe potentially practice more. Um, I think those things could really help us keep our guys healthy. And that's that's an important point. And on that note, um, I just want to respect your time here and wrap it up pretty soon, but when you're looking at guys, and again, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not, I don't follow the NBA that closely, but I listen to sports radio, and so I hear a lot of sports talk guys talk about, you know, NBA during the season. And it sounds to me, you mentioned that players sometimes play four games a week. What are, you, how important is recovery, and what, what are your kind of some of your go-to recovery protocols to keep your athletes on the floor three, four nights a week? Yeah, sleep. Sleep's the best recovery protocol you could do, and we don't live in a very optimal environment to gather sleep. You know, you could be in Chicago playing a game. As soon as you get, you know, you finish, you're getting on an airplane, you're flying to Orlando, you're getting in at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, and then so examining how you create environments that the athlete has an opportunity to eat, really well and sleep really well. I think those are the two primary ones, but 
you know, you're creating systems that um, that allow you to create fundamental habits. And so the habits of flexibility and mobility, strength and power, they could be um, five minutes, six minutes. It's not a 30-minute strategy, but it's functionally dense, and we, we would call those accumulation opportunities. So the ability to accumulate fundamental movement skills um, repetitively, consistently, allow us to probably create some good habits to allow their bodies to move, but nothing more than sleep and eating real food. And so we, our science department does an amazing job of making sure we have those environments the best that we possibly can when we're traveling. Because I always make the point, you know, when I give lectures and when I talk to people, that at your level, at the professional level, Todd, everybody's doing about the same type of training, and, and, and the athletes are at about the same level of skill, but one of the things that can really set a team apart or really set an athlete apart is their overall approach to recovery and how they treat their body away from the field or away from the court. How important is that, especially for some of the older players in the league? Well, if you're an older player in this league, you have pretty good habits. <laughs> this league is is very non-forgiving. And so if you've spent tw- 10 or 12 years in this league, you have really good habits. Um, and it's our job as coaches to teach our young guys that at some point in time, the invincibility of youth and, and God-given genetics could run out at some point um, and that you want to have the best habits that you can. That's the fun part to coaching is that you have so many different, a wide scope of personalities um, and traits that make each one very uniquely different. And most of our veterans, um, guys that have spent more than eight years in the league, they have really good habits. They're the first ones in the building. They're the first ones with the physiotherapist. They're the first ones with me in the weight room. They have great accumulation habits. You know, um, and the young guys, it's our job to, you know, show them that the, that's why these guys have been around. And we have some great young, talented guys. I mean, they're, the future could be really good if we just keep helping our guys, you know, teaching them how to create better habits year to year. And, and that's the one thing I see just as a casual observer of professional sports, whether it's the NBA or the NFL, is that – Guys can come in and play maybe a year or two on town alone, but it's those guys that understand what it takes off the field, the other you know hours in the day and the other hours in the week when you're not actually playing, those are the guys that have the 5, 7, 10, and, and onward career. What would be your advice to like the average, you know, most of the listeners aren't, aren't vying for a contract, <laughs> um, but what would be your average? If they, if they enjoy playing whatever sport they play, what would kind of be your recommendations um, for them to be able to, to enhance their, their, their enjoyment and their love of their profession, of their recreational sport. Yeah, I think it all goes back to learning, right? Um, that's what I love about your podcast is that it, it's all about knowledge, right? And, sh- and everybody's sharing their stories of, of what's molded them as coaches and, and why they do things the way that they do and the people that they've learned from. I think it's always about learning. Like either you're learning or you're not, and this, and um, and so if you love something, you're always going to be curious on how to do better at it. 
and, uh, and you're going to find some things that some big rocks that stick with you that'll be the fundamentals to to drive you your longevity and what you love to do. But I think once you stop learning and you feel like you're there, um, you got an opportunity to to get stuck. And so I would go to I would always go to learning, and that's why I love and respect about what you're doing with your podcast, Pete. Is I've had some really talented people on your podcast that uh, that share, and so I I love listening to podcasts. It's the way that I I learn um, better through people, you know, hearing their stories and why they do things than reading. Um, so great respect to you on on how you continually pushing knowledge and and the learning for people like myself that want to continually, that are curious and want to keep learning and get better at what we do. Todd, I, that, that means a lot, man. I really appreciate it because, you know, for me, I'm literally, I'm standing here in my closet because the closet's a perfect sound barrier. You know, it's a perfect sound chamber to, to, record, uh, to record sound in. And so it's nice to know that, that people out there listening and, and paying attention to that. So were you a basketball player? I noticed that you were at Springfield College. Were you a basketball player growing up? Is that how you got into the conditioning side of it? I, I grew up um, loving basketball. And so I played basketball. It was a sport that I loved growing up. But being growing up in Boston, you did a lot of stuff. So you played street hockey. You played baseball. You know, you played football. And I went to high school and I played uh, I played basketball, football, and baseball and then switched to lacrosse and so I was really active through athletics growing up and then when it had a, when I had a chance to go to college I decided to play college football at Springfield and uh, I played football for four years and that's really where I fell in love with training it was my first I had some buddies that uh, from high school that went off to play college football and we would come back every summer and train with each other and do each other's programs. And that's where I really started to fall in love with physical transformation, you know, and I could see what it did to help me as, as a football player. And that's where the, that's where it kind of started for me. You, were you a tight end or a, a tackle? Cause you're a tall guy. Uh, I was, uh, I was, I was a multiple positions. I came in actually as a strong safety and got moved to a, a rush end. And then, my last couple of years played uh, a boundary side linebacker, so I I played a linebacker to the short side of the field. That's yeah. Actually, people don't. I think short side linebackers or short side players like weak side flankers in rugby have a lot more work to do because they're covering a lot more space. You know, you, yeah, you, you have to chase them. Yeah, yeah, you're you chasing stuff. Yeah, now you chase Do your kids play sports? Because you know, I, I talked to Mike Boy a little bit about his kids. How important is it? You you played multiple sports growing up. How important is it if people want to develop as an athlete? If, if they have, if they're listening to have kids, how important is it for kids to play multiple sports? Yeah, and so as a parent, like this is the this is the thing that gets it can be conflicting at times. Like I loved moving and I loved playing sports. I was a very kinetic learner, right? This is what I love to do. I want my kids to do what they love to do. Um, now I do have two. That uh, I well, I have three that are they're all involved in sports. One is a scholarship uh, volleyball player at the University of Lehigh. She's an outside hitter, 
and she loves training. I, lo- I love training her. And then my middle one is uh, a defensive specialist volleyball wife who she's hoping that she goes to Springfield College, actually. They're, they're recruiting her. And then my little guy just started uh, tackle football for the first time last night. And so they all have particular strengths as children, um, but I'm really trying to figure out what they love. And then you try to pile as much stuff around them as as you can on what they love to do. And I'm lucky. I, I, I don't have a job. I would love for them to somehow find that same love and passion um, no matter what it is, even though I know how important moving is for your body. The way society's changing now, I want my children to be healthy and vital for a long time. And so they're learning all these movement strategies through their daddy, you know, basically to be really healthy. And some of them, you know, two of them so far, it looks like they're going to go on into college and play some kind of athletics, and we'll see what the little guy has to come in the in the future, you know. That, that's awesome, man. And that's, you know, my kids are much younger than yours, and, and that's the only thing I'm trying to do is trying to instill the, the behaviors and the habits and just get them outside and moving. Now, what is training for the game? Are you still involved in training for the game? I am. I am. I'm still the I'm the original founder, and I'm, I'm uh, owner, co-owner with uh, my great friend Chris Braden, who was my assistant at uh, at Texas for a while, and then went, he went off to work with Bobby Knight and Pat Knight at Texas Tech for a while, and he's back. He's the general manager of training for the game in Austin, Texas, which is a uh, you know, a restoration performance and fitness facility in uh, in Austin, Texas. We've been in existence for I think it's almost 19 years now, and uh, and it's it's actually going great. I got you know six great coaches that have worked with me for a long time that are all still there, and uh, the place is doing great. We're excited about where where it's potentially going here in the next four or five years. Cool. And now you're doing you're doing some talks for Reform Better as well this year, correct? That's something you've been doing for a while. I, I am. Yeah, I am. I've been I've been blessed that I've been. Chris asked me to speak. I think I'm going on my 14th or 15th year on the Perform Better circuit. And um, this year I spoke in uh, Providence and I spoke in uh, Orlando. And for listeners, that's a anybody can go to that. You don't need to be a coach or a trainer. If you're somebody who just really loves fitness and you want to, you know, spend two or three days filling your head with knowledge from guys like Todd and, and other top leaders in the industry that perform better, I'm, I'm bummed, dude. I'm, actually, it's going to be this weekend in, here in, in Long Beach, and I got the opportunity. I mean, I can't be too too upset. I'm going to Shanghai to go speak in an event in Shanghai, and so I'm going to miss, but I usually love, because I love going to perform better and just get two or three days to just fill my head with, with good stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, the uh... – the Perform Better, I think Chris does a great job of putting some amazing people together. Long Beach is always one of my favorite ones. Just they've changed the Long Beach dates to uh, some different times when I just haven't been able to get out there. But I love I love Long Beach's people. They just love their training. Uh, but I love being a part of it. Chris Poirier is a, he's a great uh, a great human being, but he's had a great vision for delivering education. And he's put some great, great people together that I've been honored to be a part of for the last four, 14 or 15 years. And I'm humbled that I get to go and be a part of 
this group of people, but I get to learn from them, which is which is even better. And now, now final question here: What is? Do you have a preference between uh, clam chowder or cheese sticks? Uh, which would be yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. of the regional the regional yeah. delicacies of where you've lived or barbecue? I guess I asked to throw Texas barbecue. So if you have yeah. a choice one meal, would you rather have you know New England chowder with lobster? Would you rather have Texas barbecue? Or would you rather load up on a chili, what was a cheese whiz or chi- the steak and cheese uh, with, with? Yeah. Would be your choice? Yeah, and so I'm going to change my selection of the New England selection. I'm going to change it to the lobster roll instead of the instead of the, uh, the clam chowder, if that's okay. I will and, take uh, Yeah, and so um, I'm going to take the lobster roll first just because of where we're at in the season right now. Um but you can't go wrong if you're going to have a cheat day. The cheese steak's a great one, um, but there are some very uh, unique and amazing barbecue places in Texas that uh, that are really fun to go to. So you can't go wrong with any one of the three that you just kicked out, Pete. But the lobster roll is is, is my favorite by far. All right, man. Hey, Todd, I really I really appreciate your time, and I appreciate uh, what you do and, and how you keep guys healthy and. And I am, like I said, I'm not much of an NBA fan, but I, I have been paying more attention to the 76ers since I know you, this is what you're going on your third season now or fourth? This will be my fourth season now. Okay. That's what I thought. And so now you're seeing, you know, from my understanding, you guys have been putting a whole, you guys have had a whole strategy of putting things into play. And it sounds like you're pretty pumped for this season. I am. I'm excited about our young group of guys. And I think some of the veterans that uh, we've had with us and have acquired in the off season. I'm excited about the energy that we're building, and uh, over the next couple of weeks, we'll get back to work, and through that work, there'll be some good stuff that'll be ahead of us, hopefully, this season. So, um, But look, I, I really appreciate what you're doing to try to help our field be better through letting people learn from all of our stories, and I appreciate you letting me be a part of, uh, part of the podcast, man. And I thank you for your time, Todd, man. Take care, best of luck, and uh, hopefully our paths cross soon. I hope so too, man. Thanks again. Okay. Maybe I'm biased because, you know, I work in the field, or let me be more specific. I work in the education side of fitness. I really think that the strength and conditioning coach, like Todd, is probably one of the most important coaches on the team. You can have various position coaches come and go, head coaches can come and go. But a strength coach who understands how the body adapts to different stresses, whether that's traveling to, you know, flying across country to play a series of road games, whether that's having to do a tournament like in basketball time for the NCAAs, whether that's what it takes to do playoff basketball, you know, in the NBA, you have to play the best out of seven series. All this requires understanding how everything in the human physiology is affected by stress. Because at its fundamental level, that's what exercise is. Exercise is stress imposed upon the body. Todd's role with his NBA players is to help them understand how to minimize the negative stress, how to minimize the stress that happens outside of the basketball arena so they can perform their best on the court. Strength coaches, strength coaches aren't there to get athletes big. They're not there to give athletes a huge bench press. They're not. Strength coaches are there to help athletes perform better and to keep professional athletes injury-free. Because a professional athlete can't perform if they're injured and on the sidelines. And it's a strength coach that helps them stay fit and ready to go. So when you see people like Todd, when you see professional strength coaches, 
you want to understand what their methodology is because they are paid a lot of money to keep their athletes ready and rock and roll full time. So pay attention. I'm not really an NBA fan. I'm not. Yeah, I, I told that to Todd. I, I'm going to follow the 76ers a little bit just because I know Todd a little bit. You know, as, as we talked about, you know, we've worked with each other on a couple of things. And it really is, I'm looking forward to seeing how the 76ers survive the, the grueling season. NBA basketball is tough. I'm not, you know, I'm a short, stocky white dude. I never was that much into the basketball. I appreciate, I think NBA players are some of the best athletes on the planet. I really do. You know, they just, the, the stuff they do is, is amazing. I'm much more interested in how they train, what, the, what it takes, you know, to see guys like, like Kobe, who trains his butt off, to, to see what LeBron goes through to train, to be at the highest level of performance. And what's interesting to me, what Todd talked about a little bit, in any professional league, you cannot make it on talent alone. I'll say that again. If you want to be a professional athlete, even if you don't want to be a professional athlete, if you just enjoy playing recreational sports, talent will only take you so far. What kind of conditioning do you do? How much practice do you do? What type of mental work do you do? That's where it can make a big difference. You know, that's what keeps, keeps a guy in the league, you know, playing in a league like the NBA for 8, 10, 12 years. You know, it's not only what you can do with the ball, but it's the type of conditioning you do, the strength training you do, the mobility you do, the recovery work. How much sleep do you get? Because if you're training hard, if you're playing hard, guess what? Your body needs the recovery time so it adapts. So your tissues heal. Your cardiorespiratory system recovers. Because you can't just go, 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 go. If you like playing recreational sports, pay attention to that. If you love playing pickup basketball, if you play in a tennis ladder, if you play various leagues, you have to pay attention to other stressors. If you have a busy time at work, if you have to finish the quarter out, if you have a big sales number to hit at the end of the month, that's not the time to have your most challenging competition because you're already going to be stressed out. So you want to look at when you can play. You want to look at your work schedule and say, okay, I know that this period of time at work is not that busy. So that's the time when you want to try to maximize what you do in your favorite recreational activity. Conversely, if you know that if you're an accountant and you know from about mid-March to mid-April, you're slammed with work, helping people prepare tax season, that's not the time to train for the hardest race or the hardest event. You want to train for your hardest physical activity during the time when your work period is the slowest. That's one of the things I'll ask clients. I'll ask them what, what, what's their fiscal year? When do, they do their, you know, when do they do their budget planning? Because those are going to be high-stress times. So take the information that Todd talks about and to apply it to yourself, look at your training schedule and look at your work schedule. You want to balance your training so you're doing your hardest training when work is not going to be that hard. But if you have a period of work, if you know there's like a four to six week block two or three times a year, when you're jammed, you have meetings, whether it's budget prep, whether it's closing the year out, that's the time when you want to kind of scale your intensity down of your own personal workouts. Or if you do any type of competition, that's not the time that you do your competitions. You want to save your stress. If you know you're going through a stressful time at work, you want to save that energy in your body for work. Then when work doesn't get as busy, when work's a little bit easier, when you have a little bit more energy, boom, that's when you hit it. When you don't have to stay late, when you don't have to prepare those reports, we don't have to give that, that presentation to the board. That's when you can train. That's when you should train for your marathon. If you want to do a triathlon, if you want to do what you know, previous guest Alex Isley did when he, you know, Alex Isley did the you know, 500-mile hoodoo race. You don't do that during the last week of the quarter when you know you're going to be having to get stuff in. So take the information, listen to what Todd talks about and how he helps his athletes train. 
He looks at mobility. He looks at you know multi-directional speed, multi-directional strength, their reactivity. That's how he helps his players stay on the court. It's not just how strong they are. It's not how explosive they are. It's being smart, training them to move better, teaching them about recovery so they know how to take care of their bodies. That's what it takes to be performing at the highest level. And I've said this for years, you know, for, for, with clients I've worked with for years, with classes, I've, fitness classes I've taught for years, I always look to the pros and see what the pro strength coaches like Todd are doing. Because if it's good enough for somebody making seven figures playing a sport, it should be good enough for you. If you know that an athlete's coming off the, the floor, coming off the court and doing a 20-minute ice bath or doing a three-minute cryo chamber and then doing some foam rolling or they're, doing, they're getting nine to 10 hours of sleep a night, Pay attention to that as we go through the NFL season this year. Listen to the announcers talk about the sleep programs that various athletes are doing. Because as Todd said, sleep is the best form of recovery. Downtime is the best form of recovery. If you're playing in a Saturday league, don't go out hard on Friday night. You know, Take it easy. Give your body a chance to rest so you can perform your best. Take a tip from the pros. If it's good enough for what a pro athlete does, it's what you should be doing for your training program. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of All About Fitness. I really appreciate Todd's time. It's really great to hear that insight into what what a professional coach does with his athletes. These guys make tens of millions of dollars playing a sport. Todd's job is to keep them on the court so they can help that team win. If a tie is good enough for Todd, using with his athletes, it'll help you perform better in whatever your favorite activity is. If you have any questions or comments or want to reach out, please, by all means, reach out to me, Pete, at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. You can follow me on Instagram. That's Pete McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. Pete McCall underscore fitness on Instagram. And I post up there. I'll have some videos up there of various type of exercises that I know Todd does with his athletes. You can also follow me on Twitter, PeteMC underscore fitness. That's PeteMC underscore fitness. Thanks for dropping by, and I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness. 